just constantly in my ear was constantly like telling me who I should be and what I should be like. And, you know, I hadn't lost weight from having our kids and, you know, we needed to start running and she would measure me and, you know, like going to help me lose weight. And so I just said, okay, I'm down. And I allowed her to really shape me. Hello, my friends, and welcome to the show. On behalf of Disciple of City, I'm Todd Carlton, and this is the Toddcast. Disciple of City exists to equip churches, groups, and individuals to live a lifestyle of evangelism. And you can find all the information you need at everydisciplesent.ca. Download the United Hive app so you can share testimonies you're having to fellow believers all over the world and follow this podcast on Instagram at the Toddcast underscore DAC. On the show today, we have two guests. She's from Pennsylvania, USA. He's from Southwestern Ontario, Canada. Originally starting in ministry in Canada called SOS Canada, but they would later be called to serve in the Czech Republic. Please welcome Jody and Rachel Rector. Hey, guys. Hey. Hi. How are you doing? Good. How are you doing? Good. Thanks for coming on the show today, taking some time to chat with us. Oh, thank you for having us. Our pleasure. I feel like uh, I feel like there's a deep story here, um, Pennsylvania and southwestern Ontario and Czech Republic. Um, I don't know who wants to go first, but uh, can you? Well, actually, first of all, like we'd love to to capture how Jesus became real to people. So I don't know if that's something that happened in your individual lives or when you got married. But uh, maybe we'll start with you, Rachel, and you can just sort of give us the details on on how Jesus became real to you or that process. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, well, the truth is he's always becoming more and more real. And that's what's amazing about him is that uh, there's a start and then he's always becoming more and more real. So, um, yeah, the point I go back to is really when I was little, um, I remember... Do you, did you ever hear of Awana? I'm sure yep, yep. you've heard of Awana. So I, I was raised going to Awana, and um, my grandma had given the little devotional. She was my leader at the time, <clears throat> and she's passed away now. But she was talking about Adam and Eve and sin entering the world and then connected it to Christ being the answer um, to that problem. And uh, I remember as a little kid feeling the weight of sin, knowing, like absolutely knowing that that sin um, was part of me and it separated me from God. And I wanted, I wanted to be restored to, to my heavenly father and knew that Christ was the way. It was just something so hard to put words to. Because it's really that soul work, you know, my soul just knew it was true and hungered for him. And so I went home and I talked to my mom, my stepdad, and um, yeah, that's where that's where my journey began. I, I, I remember repenting, not that I, you know, had a ton to repent from really at nine years old, but I knew, like, I just knew that I was a sinner and that, that was, that was really where it started where i was so keenly aware that 
I was a sinner and the all, there was nothing I could do about it. And um, Christ did it all. So, yeah, it, it was remarkable how deep I felt that as, as a nine-year-old. Wow. I knew it was real. Yeah. And what about you, Jody? Um, I grew up, uh, I always jokingly say I grew up in Northern Ireland because my dad was a Catholic. My mom was a Protestant. Uh, <laughs> my house, when I was a kid, there were, I never knew if I could open the fridge and a bomb would go off or something. It was, <laughs> there was a lot of, there was always arguing between, you know, Catholicism and Protestantism and what's right and what's wrong. And, um, but somehow even, even as a young boy, I remember my first memories of just knowing that that Jesus was about something very different than than the arguments that that I heard growing up. Um, and, and my parents, they had faith; they believed in God. It wasn't as bad as I as I make it sound, but there was always that tension. Um, and my my grandpa on my mom's side, he was a Pentecostal minister, a spirit filled man. Um, and and spending time with him was was literally like even at four years old. I just remember like when I'm with my grandpa, it's like almost being with Jesus. Like he was just so such a wonderful man. But, um, you know, I, I was a hockey player. I grew up, um, kind of mostly my hockey buddies. They were my friends. Uh, my parents stopped taking us to church when I was probably nine or 10. And my life kind of just continually got a little bit, I got into partying. I got into, into drugs pretty heavily um when i was a teenager a late teenager especially and somewhere around the age of 19 i had a real crisis where i was just like i felt like my life was totally falling apart and i needed something i asked my mom you know mom can you help me and she actually called huntley street and 100 huntley street and they recommended some pastor in the area um guys the last name was higgins i was a big magnum pi fan so i'll never forget his name and, uh, yeah, I think I just aged myself a little bit. <laughs> First I said the Instagram and now Magnum PI, but he, uh, so I went to, I went to this man's office and I said to my mom before, like, mom, I think I need some help. I think I need more than prayer. Um, I think, you know, like I need somebody who has some wisdom that can really help me. And, and I told the story many times and it's, it's always, I, I remember the moment he opened the door. He had an office in his home, uh, and there was a warmth and a light in his face that I I just knew that there was something very special in that moment. Uh, and he talked to me about you know what I was missing in my life, what I wanted. I told him I wanted peace. He told me Christ was the Prince of Peace, and he walked me through Romans Road. Um, you know, I prayed with him, and I I felt peace come over me without a question, but. I don't think in that moment I knew exactly what I was doing. Uh, I went back to my buddies, my life, uh, smoking drugs, doing the same things. I just had uh, peace from what I was dealing with. But now there was something different. I, I When I got high, I just thought, why am I doing this? Like, man, there's got to be more to life than this. What, what's going on? And I really didn't have any Christian community around me. And it was one uh, spring afternoon in May. When my friend and I, we went down to a little place outside of Waterloo to get high um, by the river. We used to go there. And we're standing by the edge of the river. I'll, I'll never forget the way the sun felt on my skin. It was just a beautiful night. And and in my heart, 
not not audibly, but as close to audibly as 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 it could be. I heard the Lord just ask me, like, what are you hanging on to? If you'll give me your life, I'll give you a new life. And you're never going to have to worry about who you're going to be or what you're going to do. Um, and I'll be with you. I'll never leave you. And I, I thought that sounds like an amazing deal. And in that moment, I said, okay, Lord. And I, I told my buddy, I quit smoking dope. I'm following Jesus. And he's like, whoa, man, good for you. <laughs> and he didn't believe me. But honestly, that was the moment when 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 Jesus went from something that, you know, I always believed there was a God and believed Jesus was the son of God. Um, but when you say became real, that's the moment where I surrendered my life to him and, and everything changed. That's that's really awesome. You know, we we talk about that or try to share that a lot in the ministry. Right. It's not about a feeling, but but there is something deeper than just a belief. Right like some yeah. kind of an encounter and it it looks different for people but at the same time it's the same almost you know where that mm -hmm. just happens um rachel when you as you grew up and be you know became a teenager and stuff and really started getting exposed to the world what mm -hmm. how how did your how did your what was that faith path like for you as you started to see things unfold and people partying and all that kind of stuff um well uh, so I was raised in a pretty conservative, uh, like background. So I grew up going to private Christian school and in, in, as you said, Pennsylvania. And, um, I really, really, I had to be the good girl. Like I, I, I lied about doing drugs to look like I was tough stuff, but I, I, I was never, I never had the guts to do them or anything. So I was really, really, um, yeah, I just, I needed the identity of being, being the good girl. Um, so, you know, friends would, I would see friends do, you know, lots of different things, but I never, um, yeah, like fear of doing something wrong always kept me from that. I, it, it always held me back. I, I had to be, it wasn't necessarily that my, my motivation was to honor God, as much as it was, uh, I'm terrified to do the wrong thing. I had to be, you know, perfectionist. And that was pretty, that was pretty heavy on me a lot of my life. Um, still something that I battle with truthfully, but, um, so <clears throat> that was, that was sort of my identity growing up. Um, but there was this war in me, you know, because the spirit of God was alive in me and there was this war of like, he is real and wanting him more and more. So, um, you know, just always got to do the right thing, but like, he's real and I want to know him more. I want, I want to be more like him, not my version of good, but like him. And so, um, that was, there was a tension in, in me a lot growing up in that. And, um, into adulthood we were married we're eight years different it's obvious probably to you that i'm a lot younger than jody <laughs> yeah i was actually totally gonna say <laughs> thank you yeah <laughs> um but but uh so i was married i was 19 when we got married um so i i had a lot of growing up left to do when we got married but um it was just 
yeah, always, always something that I battled even in those early years that, that perfectionism versus becoming more like him and, um, to, to let go of my version, my definition, my, my standard of what that looks like and just really let it die and embrace who he is and allow him to transform me. So that, that has been, you know, man, that's been really hard for me over the years. Yeah. Like, like feelings of left out or, or missing. Sometimes people feel like they've missed out on stuff because they didn't do something or which is a lie from the enemy too. Yeah, it is. But I, I don't know that I ever have felt that I haven't been a big, I'm like, man, I missed my chance to party. You know, there was, there was a season in our marriage. um, It's quite a long story, but um, and jumping ha- ahead a little bit, but I, I did have a season of rebellion where I, I walked away from my husband. I walked away from my kids and wanted a divorce. And, and the season was three months, maybe maximum. And in that season, um, yes, I, I certainly like, I threw off all of the ideas of, you know, what I should be. And it really embraced rebellion. Um, but other than that, it ha- hasn't been something that I have felt like this, this need to, you know, like not miss out on partying, not miss out on, you know, drugs or alcohol or um, it, it hasn't been, it hasn't been something for me that I've, I've really battled with. So it was more just a weight of like the burden of caring, of trying to live up to this image than for you. Huge. It's been at times crippling in my life. Really, really just very, and it started at a very young age for me, just a need to make sure that I don't disappoint, you know, my mom, um, my, then later my stepdad and um, to just, become loved by trying to be my version of perfect. And so that has been something that God has been, you know, like I love the story of when Jesus is being baptized and um, the father confirms his love for Christ before he steps into ministry. Like he hadn't done anything. He was just loved. And uh, that's something that I really try to daily have to remind myself of. Like, you don't have to do anything you are loved. Yeah. So it's fascinating how spiritually the enemy can do everything to stop us from living in that peace of the father. Mm-hmm. Right. Whether it's like just, you know, just in your story, whether it's people living that way and then sort of have a feeling like, Oh, they missed out on something or in your case of, of having the, Oh, you, you know, you got to be this good girl. You're not good enough. And, and just to prevent you from living in that joy as a precious daughter of his. Yeah. And blind you like actually make you think you can do something about it. Blind you to the fact that like he deserves it all. He did it all. Yeah. So he just deserves my adoration, not my effort and um you're just you can be so blinded by a burden yet like you said that the enemy just serves up every day yeah okay so well how did you guys get together 
What's the story? What's the Jody's good looks? Yeah, my blue eyes. <laughs> His blue eyes. All the um, way from you saw that from Pennsylvania across the lake, and yeah, they're they're quite blue. No, uh, in seri- in all seriousness, uh, so I had been on a on a short term hockey trip to Czech Republic in two thousand. I I've been at Bible school, um, and I was introduced to this idea of these short term hockey trips with an organization at the time was called Christian Outreach International. They were in in Florida. And I went on this 10, 11 day trip and it just rocked me. It was so amazing. It was the idea of missions and and just uh, using what God has already given me to serve him and share the gospel, like uh, a desire or a passion to play hockey and, and just seeing how that could connect um, with, with my faith and my life. And I could make my life about, the great commission. It was so encouraging. Um, and so I, I immediately after the trip wanted to, to become a missionary and the organization that we were with had a three month training program that they ran every fall. And, and the training program was back in Czech Republic. They had bases all around the world, but they had a really nice property here in, in Czech. Actually, uh, Adam Shevsky has been there. It's, it's a youth for Christ property in in Czech in Czech Republic and so at the time though it wasn't owned by Youth for Christ and Rachel had heard about the school through some uh like I guess it was pretty random I don't kind of random yeah yeah like just she was get graduating high school and you know just different options of what you can do you know if you don't want to go directly to university and so we both wound up at the same school with I think there was sixteen students in that uh, three month semester and. Really, I mean, there's, there's, it was a crazy time where the very first evening we were all together. Um, wait, 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 wait. I, we, we all, oh, all yeah, the students true. met in the airport and I, I, we all introduced ourselves to one another. And, um, I said to my mom, like, oh, Joe, literally his eyes, I could stare into his eyes for the rest of my life. And I wasn't even 19 that I was an 18 year old kid. Um, and my mom says he's 27. And still lives. <laughs> yeah. Stay away from him. There's something stay away wrong from him. him. He still lives at home. So then, yeah. <laughs> so, and I didn't, honestly, I, I was pretty nervous about the trip and I wasn't really paying attention at, in that moment, just introducing it, like to being introduced to all the students but when we landed, got to the to the uh, property, like where we were staying at the school, um, it was that first evening we were all together um, sitting in the common lounge. And Rachel and I were talking, you know, kind of in a group. And then she just said something where, you know, it's weird, but since I was 12 years old, I would pray for the man that one day I would marry. And when she said that, I I heard, felt, and like I'm talking like almost like electrically through my whole body, the Lord just say, it's you that she's been praying for. And because when she was 12, you know, I was going through a really difficult time in life, probably right around the time when I met Pastor Higgins. Mm-hmm. Um, and I literally in that moment, not only did I hear that, but it was like I felt, wow, the covering of her prayers that I didn't even know I was being covered during that time. And our eyes met. And I knew that the Lord said to her in that exact second, that's the guy you've been praying for. And I knew she heard that. And I knew, and I knew that she saw in my eyes that I heard something like that. 
And we were both so freaked out, we didn't say anything to each other. We were just like, what is going on here? And I went upstairs that night and I wrote in my journal, I'm like, God, I didn't come here for a girl. Like, Rachel's really cool. And if it's part of your plan, okay. But really, it has to be you because I came here to, you know, to surrender this time to you. These three months, it's all about you. Uh, we, I want to be a missionary. And um, Lord, I'm, I really need your help on this one because... I don't know what to do. And the next two weeks were just basically one encounter like that after another until finally we sat down and, and, and opened up to each other. And, you know, with the help of some friends there and the, the, the um, leaders of the school, we got some counseling and some opinion and, and people could see the Lord was doing something. They were like, ah, oh, we knew this was happening like a week ago. That's so, the best. Yeah. We were married less than one year uh, or sorry. Yeah. yeah, one week, just so 51 weeks after we met, we were married. So after that school and the check and you went back to Pennsylvania, how'd that go with your mom? <laughs> <laughs> it was a rocky beginning. It was rocky beginning. <laughs> my, my, uh, my parents, they struggled with it. It was, you know, we, in their view, we didn't know each other. You know, we spent such a short amount of time together. It was three months, but, you know, it was very intense school. I mean, the students were ministering together, were together all the time. So, um, and we we were under the authority and, you know, the, the mentorship of the leaders of the school. And so, um, but the biggest thing, hands down, the biggest thing was the fact that, like, Never before that had I ever experienced God speak so, so clearly. And I mean, it was his grace because years later in that season of rebellion that I I referred to, Jody would say to me, like, how can you walk away? Like, didn't God call us to be together? And even in my deep rebellion, I could never say, no, he didn't. I could never, ever, ever speak the words out of my mouth. I knew that like, if I get divorced, I'm, I'm actively going against what God so clearly communicated what his plan was for me, for us. And so, um, it, you know, it was so important that he, he did move in such a powerful way in bringing us together because it's been something that over the years has really, really served in, in the hard seasons to um to hold us in his grip you know that we've called it the frying pan moment like you know yeah. in the cartoons where you get hit in the head with the frying pan and like you'll never forget that moment and no it's it's been a grounding like foundational piece in our life and our marriage where where we've always gone back to that my parents just to answer your question they, they were really happy to be getting rid of me they were like yes <laughs> You got a good one. Let's go. Let's do this. Um, and Rachel's parents did. They came to our wedding and they like, we have a great relationship now. We love them. Like, I love them very much. They're like, both my parents have passed now and you know, they're, they're like my parents. So, um, and we've had, we've had some really great, awesome time. It just, the, that initial it time. It was a rocky road. And I have two daughters. We have two daughters. So like, <laughs> I'm thinking now of some guy, I don't care who he was or how, how loud you heard the Lord speak. You know, some guy that you've only known for three months suddenly said, I want to marry your daughter. 
Mm-hmm. I would struggle with it as when a, you as now a have so. an eighteen-year-old daughter. Yeah. Your perspective is just so different. Yeah. yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you on that. I have a fifteen-year-old daughter, and nobody's good enough for my girl. <laughs> right, yeah. that's the way it is. Exactly. So, okay, so this SOS Canada was that like? Did you guys do that together when you got married? Was that something you were in together? Yeah. So the the uh, actually the pastor who married us, him and his wife were. Uh, two of the leaders at the missionary training school that we were at. Um, they're Americans. They're, they were in the Florida area at the time. And they started a missions organization um, after this in Bahamas, and they called it SOS. Um, it stood for Sons of Salvation. And they asked us to join them. And we had been to the Bahamas with them on a short-term mission trip. And it was a beautiful place. The ministry was, you know, vibrant and alive. And obviously the weather's amazing. But we really just had this, uh, always had this kind of pull on our hearts to Czech Republic and and felt like there's still more to do with the hockey ministry trips. The organization had kind of stopped doing them. And so um, we set about trying to, the, the pastor said, well, why don't you make it happen? Like in Canada, in Canada, do whatever, whatever you need to do. And so we, um, we got some help from uh, uh the, a, friend, yeah. uh, a friend who helped us set up our registered not-for-profit um, Christian ministry, and, and we founded SOS Canada, and, and we sent our first hockey team, or I led the first team, back to Czech in 2006. So what did you actually... Yeah, what, what, four years. Sorry, say that again? We were married about oh, four, four years, years. And, and we started that. Okay, so what, what exactly did you do? Was it ministering to the hockey players, or what did that ministry look like? Yeah, so we we would play uh, four or five games when when we were here, to, and uh, it was you know with basically an adult rec leagues. So it wasn't high competitive hockey. Um, some of our guys were pretty good, but um, and we would basically share our testimony between the second and third period. Um, and and because we were we started going back year after year after year after year for like six or seven years in a row. We really got to know the same group of guys over and over again. It led to them bringing uh, 25 people to Canada for two weeks where we stayed at, at the uh, Christian Ranch outside of Orangeville Teen Ranch um, and, you know, took them on a tour, took them to a couple of church services. Uh, these guys are – Czech Republic is one of the most atheistic countries in the world. Um, so the majority of these guys are definitely non-believers. Uh, but they're open because we use hockey as a contact point ministry. It was just a way to to establish that relationship and 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 right from the beginning share the gospel, tell them who we are, what we believe, and and what Christ has done for them. And just to be clear, I was not playing hockey. No, <laughs> this was not my my uh, contribution. But, but you were involved in the ministry as well. We always we always brought the girls. Um, Grace was I think six months old the first, first or, or maybe eighteen months old. I don't remember, but she was pretty young. Uh, our youngest was pretty young when we first came. So we always did it as a family thing. We never wanted to be, um, you know, going in different directions that way. We wanted we wanted to do it as a family. So yeah, and and we were with the local church and missionaries, and so, so you was would- more. Would you connect with the wives from some of the other hockey players and different things like that? 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, they were there to watch. I was there to watch with the kids. So definitely was connecting with them over the years more and more. Yeah. And we also were in, in public schools, like because we're native speakers, native English speakers, um, you know, they want like doors are wide open, especially then it was it was more of a novelty. Um, so we were we were invited into public schools to just come in and you know, share with them uh, who we are, what we're doing, invite them. We would do like a youth program in the middle of the week that we were there in the town. Um, so we'd invite all the students to that, try and help build up the local church ministry. So if there was a youth ministry, uh, we invited all the hockey players to a church service where, you know, um, several of them did come on the Sunday, uh, you know, and then then hopefully the church was able to step in and build some relationships with them when, when we were gone. And yeah, so there was a lot of off-ice ministry that we did. So obviously, obviously going there for the school and then for the hockey ministries, uh, a big draw to the Czech and what just yep. fell in love with the Czech people. Is that what brought you guys there to eventually live there? Or what, what happened there where you guys decided to actually make it your home? Yeah, I mean, it, it's, it was obviously always a part of, like, it's our story even before I met Rachel. Um, you know, my family, my dad's family were Czech, uh, and they immigrated to Canada in 1929. My dad was born four years later. Um, so I grew up with it in my background, and I, I had a, I guess you could say, a, you know, I felt a connection to Czech and to, to Czech people, well, certainly the food, and, you know, even though I didn't speak the language it sounded familiar to me um and definitely there was just this overwhelming burden of this is like a country where there there's no hope there really there really is no hope and they need they need the hope of of, of the gospel they need christ um communism uh that they call the velvet revolution in czech you know that the curtain came down in 1989 um and the country just floundered for years, you know, they tried materialism for a while, capitalism. And um, there was, you know, people really were just starting. You can see this emptiness. Okay, now I have two cars. Now I have a house. And, you know, uh, the standard of living is much higher than it was under communism. But life is still empty. What what am I missing? And so it was more, uh, I think, for us, um, obviously, there was a, a nostalgia because it's where we met and, and, and fell in love. But there was also just this real present need that we could see every time we were here to bring the gospel. And, and there's also kind of two stories here because we, we had moved here in 2009 and lived here for about 16 months or so. And um, we had planned to be here full time and we moved here as missionaries at the time. But that was that was quite a catalyst for what I referenced earlier when I walked away from our marriage. And, and, um, so we left broken. I mean, we left check separately and we left very, very broken. And so, um, coming back here, it was, I mean, when, when God brought us back together and healed our marriage and man, he just did so much work in our lives and our hearts. Um, we did let him know that part of the deal was we were never going back to Czech Republic. Oh, and you, of made, course, you, know, you made that deal with the Lord, did you? 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, more, yeah. More, I, mean, I don't know if it was a deal. I don't know if we signed on any dotted line, but it was definitely something that we were. I think I remember like, saying, even if, if I saw God in a burning bush, you did I wouldn't it. go back to check. If he told me to go back to check, I'd say no after after what we went through in, in 09 and 2010. But, uh, okay, God well, has a way. sorry, before, before you get into that, just I'm sure there's probably a lot of people that could relate to having a trial like what you're sort of brushing on. Yeah. Would you share whatever you're comfortable with about where your head was at when, when you guys sort of ran into this roadblock and you split for a bit? Yeah. Um, um, for sure. For me, I, I knew something was off. Um, at the time I was, you know, I don't know, 26, something like that. 27. Two kids. And, of uh, two, two kids, kids yeah. yeah. And um, that burden of I've got to be perfect, I've got to be perfect, um, was you can't do that, you know, like always trying to. Uh, I heard a pastor once talk about like you can cover, like you can take a cow patty and frost it um, with the most beautiful frosting, make it look like a gorgeous cake, but eventually it's going to seep out, you know, like what's really inside comes out. It's not a cake. And, um, that's kind of like, I just was frosting my life and, um, not allowing God to really do the deeper work on me. And I had no idea who I really was. I had, I just was endless pursuit of perfectionism. And, um, I had an older friend here, another missionary and, you know, everybody talks about like toxic friends and all that, but, um, this friend was truly, truly toxic, especially for my position in life of being, you know, this, this insatiable need to be perfect and to perform, um, at a high level. And, she just constantly in my ear was constantly like telling me who I should be and what I should be like. And, you know, I hadn't lost weight from having our kids and, you know, we needed to start running and she would measure me and, you know, like going to help me lose weight. And so I just said, okay, I'm down. And I allowed her to really shape me. And through, through all that friendship, her, she talks so much about my husband and how bad he was and how our marriage was bad and our marriage was bad. And I just had this growing um, resentment, you know, all this perfect storm kind of coming together. And um, I, I had told Jody like something is off. Like I, I, I don't know what's wrong with me. And um, it was a rough season. Like we didn't have a lot of support Mm -hmm. and didn't have a solid team here. And I remember one night saying to myself, I don't care anymore. And I, I, I remember the night, I remember the moment. And I just said, I don't care. And I know that was a moment that in my heart, I embraced rebellion. Like I, I would walk out the door and the enemy serves up opportunities. And, um, I won't, I won't share a ton more, but like I, I pursued rebellion and, um, yeah. And like I said, I, I got to the point where I said, I don't want to be married. And, um, so Jody went home with the girls and, and, you know, the plan was to get a divorce and I was pursuing 
myself. I was pursuing my version of, you know, now I don't, I don't want any of this stuff. You know, I'm still a believer. God still loves me. You know, like I, I, I married it all together, you know, to have my cake and eat it too kind of thing. Um, you know, God will never stop loving me, all these kind of things. And it, it was true, but I, I was rebelling and, um, God pursued me in such a gracious way. And, um, yeah, I don't know how much to keep going with it, but it was well, a just, story. But yeah, well, so you was, so you went through whatever and you went through a storm. So where was the reconciliation? Like when you say, so you stayed in check and Jody, you went back to Canada with the girls. Yeah. So we had originally <clears throat> were coming for a home visit and like all of us as a family and, uh, everything blew up like maybe, uh, maybe two weeks before we were supposed to come home. And, um, Rachel said she wasn't going to come home. So, uh, and that, that I should go home with the girls. So, me and the girls came home and Rach stayed maybe another month. And then she came back to the States. Uh, she, she, she didn't come to Canada. She flew into, into Pennsylvania and, you know, she had plans to go back to check in the fall. Um, and I was like, you know, I mean, it, it's our, we were like, Rachel talks about like not knowing who she was and, and, you know, we were married, well, she was younger than me for sure. Married young and, you know, um, I don't, from my point of view, I, I didn't realize how much of like that people pleaser kind of nature was. I thought what I saw in my wife was what I saw in my wife. I didn't realize that she, you know, because of that strong people pleaser could be really a different person with different people. And, you know, everything really, I, this this friend of Rachel's I thought was honestly my friend like they were a couple and I thought they were really my friends and when I found out what had happened I I just felt so so deeply betrayed and, and broken and hurt um and so I was back in Canada now um and Rachel was in the states and she I told her I I didn't want this I wanted to reconcile I wanted to make our marriage work you know she didn't want to at the time um, and we were literally, uh, we got like a temporary custody agreement. We made in a court in Ontario and the lawyer said, I could probably get you divorced right now if you want. Like literally, if it's amicable, I can get this signed and done. And I well, that's at encouraging. Rachel. What, what, yeah, what an encouraging really, thing to say. Eh? Yeah. It's trying to save us some money, I guess. I don't know. But I looked at Rachel and I thought, please say no. And she said, okay. And I said, like, I was broken. And I said, okay. And uh, the lawyer uh, asked the judge in in the family court, and he said, under normal circumstances, I'd do it, but we have a far too busy docket. They're going to have to come back another day. And it was like this tiny glint of hope and, and hope was one of the most painful things I'd ever felt in my life. And I, 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 unless you've been in a situation similar, I didn't know hope could hurt. I thought hope is great. We need hope, but hope. And then the fear of what, like allowing yourself to hope against what felt like insurmountable odds. Um, and, but Rachel and I were talking and it was, it was good. And, it, things were friendly and amicable as much as they could be. And, 
you know, I, I told her I loved her and I didn't want this to happen. And, um, you know, there was, there was kind of a, a piece in the middle of this crazy storm. And, and it was, uh, August 4th. I, I remember the day in 2010, um, at supper in the evening, me and Hannah and Grace, our, our girls were sitting around and I, I said, you know, Gracie, would you pray? Because I couldn't even really pray. And she just prayed, thank you, Lord, for the food. And, and then before she said amen, she said, and God, please bring mom home. And the girls were young. They didn't know what was happening. Um, tried very hard to protect them from like, you know, anything. Just, mom's just going through some stuff, um, you know, we can pray for. Her. And long story short, the next day, uh, I was on the phone with Rachel and I felt so strongly like I needed to say, come home, Rachel, just come home. And I'd given up, but and my pride was, was saying, no, don't, she's just going to say, no, don't, she's just going to say no. But I just, I blurted it out. I just said, Rachel, come home. And she literally said, okay, I'm coming. And I didn't know this, this that morning she'd been listening to the song and the lyrics were like, come home, come home again and again. Um, and she came back August 5th, 2010. And we started the process of, of putting the pieces back together. We, we went, went to a counseling service called uh, Caring for the Heart, a guy by the name of Bob Bramhill in, in Wingham, Ontario. Fantastic guy, amazing ministry. Really, really, really got to the heart of things and broken things in both Rachel and I that we brought into our marriage that we never laid before the Lord. Really brought Christ into the center and, and brought healing. And, and, and our marriage... Uh, after, you know, those few months, we got back together. We got in to see Bob. Um, it was like our marriage was brand new again. Amen. Yeah. Yeah, it was really, um, you know, <laughs> uh, when Jody said the, the part about where he said, come home, at that point, I was so drowning. You know, I, I just like water had just gone above my nose. Only my eyes were, you know, I was just going beneath the waves. And like, when he said, come home, it was like somebody threw the life preserver and you just reach out and you grab onto it, you know? And, um, it was, it was, we had so much to work through, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't just like, okay, we'll give this thing a try again, but we really, we really um, just went before the Lord and allowed him like, you know, like we're not holding anything like hands are open. We're just laying this mess before you. And he really just did so much surgery on, on ourselves individually, you know, um, and, and that impacted us to be able to once again, be, well, not, I would say not even once again, but just in such a new way, mm. united, um, as a couple and, um, really, really from that time, it's funny. I woke up this morning and the first words I heard in my head were, um, the scripture of a three string cord cannot easily be broken. And I just like blindly grabbed my phone and texted it to Jody before I was even awake or out of bed. He was at the coffee shop. And um, it's just 
really, really like the Lord sewed mm-hmm. us together, like repaired and sewed us together in such a way that that has never frayed, mm-hmm. you know, since that time, like just not frayed. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. I almost need to take a little breath there. That's a touching story. <laughs> it is. It's really, that's a really, like it's an unfortunate time that you went through, but really powerful to go from Magnum's deep blue eyes <laughs> and your whole connection to that. But it's, you know what? It's, it's real life. Hey, it's real life. Yeah. It's the enemy trying to destroy something that God put together, but he loses in the end. Yeah. yeah. Amen. And honestly, that that's the thing. Like it's a painful story to tell. It doesn't certainly doesn't, you know, paint me in a nice light, but it, you have to share these stories because it's giving God glory, you know, like take that enemy, you know, you, you want to share these stories, even if it makes you look so bad because it makes him look so good. Yeah. And, um, and we've met so many people on the, on the journey since then who have had, you know, we've sadly, we've seen, you know, friends whose marriages have fallen apart and continue to be, you know, broken. And, um, you know, we've seen so many people who who opened up to us, who knew a bit of our story, who said, I can relate, or I struggle with the same thing. And we realize that, you know, like, it's something that as God, uh, you know, brings people into our lives, that, that he still can use that story to encourage somebody. Maybe there's somebody who's, who's, you know, thinking of, or in a similar situation, they feel like they've lost hope. And, and, you know, uh, every situation is different, undoubtedly, but God is the same. And, and you know, I know what it feels like to to hope against hope and how hard that can be. Um, and like, you know, Bob Bramhill, the counselor, he said to me, I'll never forget. I loved what he said. Even at the time, he said, Jody, your marriage is dead. This is when I was talking to him before Rachel had even agreed to go to counseling. Before she came home, I was trying to get us in. And he said, your marriage is dead but we serve a resurrected Lord and he can resurrect it. Come on. And he did. So, and I just, that, that hope, if we can share that with somebody else who feels like, yeah. you know, something they've gone through is dead, their marriage might be dead. Well, Jesus is a resurrected Lord. Yeah. 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 <sighs> that guy should be a lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, let's, uh, tell us about your, your coffee shop that you have over there and, uh, we're coming close to the end there. So tell us about your, your coffee shop and, and what, uh, it is you guys are doing in the Czech Republic. Um, yeah, so we came back, uh, moved here full time in October of 2017. So we've been here over five years now. Uh, it'll be six years this coming fall and we've, been involved in all kinds of ministry. So we, we do English camps in the summer, uh, throughout the year, we have a ministry called fusion. It's a, uh, it's a contact point ministry where we use, uh, popular music, song and choir format. We arrange pop songs in choir format. Um, and then the kids put on, you know, concerts a couple times a year and they, they really, they make a big deal out of it. Like we get lights, pyrotechnics, like, you know, we invite hundreds of people to our concerts. It's, and, and really what it's about is a community. We build a community with, with these 
students. And uh, through that, we show the gospel weekly with them every single week. There's last night I was just talking about the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and, um, you know, just this opportunity. So we meet once a week with these students. That's called Fusion. And since we've been here, we've had on our hearts this like really strong desire to, to open a coffee shop, a Christian coffee shop, knowing that if we can just like our motto on our website, Living Walk, is the Great Commission isn't something that you try to fit into your life. Your life fits into the Great Commission. And and the idea that we can just get out into the community and take the church to the people rather than waiting for the people to come through the doors of the church because they're not banging down the doors here. Um, and so that reverse, like a lot of churches put a coffee shop in their church. This is like backwards, you know, like coffee shop in the community and grow the church from it. Yeah. And the idea is to use it as a, as a, as a platform to reach people. So, um, we, we had this dream and just felt like, okay, Lord, it's yours. We don't know what's going to happen. Uh, and in December of 2021, we were praying and we felt like the Lord said 2022 is a year. And we're like, okay, <laughs> I'm glad you think so. Cause we have no way of doing this, but okay, Lord, we believe it really honestly. Like, okay. I don't know what that means, but we'll, we'll, we'll believe it. And I'm telling you the absolute truth. New year's day, uh, about nine o'clock in the morning, our time, we get a message from this guy who married us, who was our mentor at missionary training school, um, he's a pastor in South Carolina, so it's the middle of the night for them. Dakota. Uh, South Dakota, sorry, South Dakota. <laughs> and uh, he says, hey, I've been up all night praying, I had COVID, feel like the Lord healed me of COVID. Then I said, what now, God? And the Lord said, I want you to help Jody and Rachel start a coffee shop in Czech Republic. <laughs> and we're like, and he didn't know what we, you know, just a couple weeks earlier been praying about. And... Uh, we were blown away. And so that, that began the process. We went out within a few weeks, we found a property signing a lease with no money. Uh, he never raised money like this in his life before, but he, he would, we never raised or asked anyone for a dollar. He was our, our friend, our pastor friend. He was just telling people like when people would say, so what's the Lord doing in your life? He'd say, well, he asked me to help Jody and Rachel start a coffee shop in the Czech Republic. And literally people were like, okay, here's a check. They never met Jody and Rachel and had never been to the Czech Republic. It was just like God was touching hearts and saying, give to this. And from January 1st, all the money was raised. Like we're talking more than 50,000 US dollars. Everything was planned, designed, built, and we opened our doors on July 1st. And so was, six months. Wow. Through, uh, through mutual, well, through Adam, actually, Adam, throughout this process, yeah. for a completely different reason, introduced me to a guy by the name of Benji Morph. And uh, Benji wanted to uh, just kind of network with he's back in Europe from Asia, where they'd been missionaries. And uh, they decided they were going to bring a team here. And and when they were bringing the team, he said, now, do you have any use for an electrician and an engineer and a carpenter? And we're like, oh, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> so they came for a week. These guys like just built out the coffee shop. So it was all done. Like when they left, it was really just some lipstick and rouge that had to be finished. And uh, the Lord gave us a name and it was Manolo. And Manolo is a, a Spanish short form for Manuel or Emmanuel. So it, 
The coffee shop literally means God with us. And that's written on our wall. There's a definition in big lettering, what it means. Uh, we, we openly and routinely share the gospel with people in the coffee shop. Just as we get to know them, they ask us, why are you here? Like, why would Canadians be here, you know, doing this coffee shop in, in Yilhab of all places? And, and I'm like, you really want to know? They're like, of course. I'm like, okay, well, and there it is. And we share our testimony. All the time. I mean, I, I, right now, as I, as I mentioned, I'm taking a step back. Um, I haven't been there for maybe a month now. Um, I'm, I'm the last year was quite, quite, uh, intense. And, um, but I'll just share a story. So I, I was doing a lot of the baking and, uh, our baking, we can bake right in the coffee shop actually. So I was coming from one side to the other, back to the baking corner. And I see this girl sitting at the bar and she's, there's a coffee bar that looks out, uh, the windows and she's reading this book in English something like five reasons to stay alive or I can't five reasons, five, five reasons to live. And so I walk past her and I go back to roll out cinnamon rolls. And I'm like, as if there's a girl sitting here reading this book in English and I'm just going to roll out cinnamon rolls. Like, of course not. I need to go talk to this girl. So I go up to her and I, and I just said like, have you found one? <laughs> and she's like, what do you mean? And I, I pointed to the book and she's like, Oh, Actually, I'm trying. Like, it's really hard. And she just opens up to me. Not common. Not, I'm telling you, it is not common for checks to be so instantly vulnerable. And she just said, actually, no, like, I'm really struggling with a reason to live. And, and I said, can I, first of all, can I just give you a hug? And so I just wrap my arms around her and give her a hug. I stepped back and I said, you know, like, you know, asked her name and I, and I told her, you know, like my husband and I, like we're, we're Christians and Jesus is our reason to live. He is the reason to live. He is our hope. He is our life. And I don't know if you know him. And she said, I, I believed, you know, once upon a time, but I don't know anyone else who believes. I have nobody, I don't know people who believe. And, um, and I said, well, we are here almost nonstop. So if you ever are questioning if there's a reason to live, get here in that moment and you will have people who will put their arms around you and love you and remind you there is a reason to live. That's number one. Number two, we are believers and we want to support you. We want you, you know, like if you have questions, if you, if you want to read the Bible, like we'll do that. We're here for that. And um, so another ministry came into town. I don't know if you if if you guys in Canada know of uh, Carry the Love Circuit Riders. Anyways, they were here for a week, and they did they did an outreach, and she she gave her life to rededicated her life to the Lord, and um, and now she's working for us. And so it's just this like yeah. this, and she sent me these messages that are just like. It, it's what it's all about. Like, thank you so much for bringing me back to Jesus, for being part of um, me coming back to faith. And, you know, it's only the beginning. We haven't even been open for a year, but, you know, more, we're just, we want more and more and more and more. Like, one is great, but, you know, and there's been more than one, certainly, but mm-hmm. we want more. Yeah. That's the, that's the goal. Yeah. It's about, it's not about coffee. <laughs> 
But we do have really good coffee. But we have great coffee. (laughs) That's good. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, Well, that's a really, really powerful and great story, you guys. Um, I I have, uh, we're just about out of time here. I have one more question for you, but I I just want to say I'm just really blown away by how God has a plan. Like we all know God has a plan. And it's awesome that you can't escape it. Hey, because you said you wouldn't go back. You guys didn't want to go back, but (laughs) clearly you're back. He's in charge. Um, and, and, uh, Rachel, I just want to say like, you don't look like the bad one (laughs) that, that, that looks like life that looks like real life and people always hide stuff, right? Like mm-hmm. another tool of the enemy of people to hide stuff, not realizing that there's tons and tons and tons of people that are going through exactly the same things or feeling exactly mm-hmm. the same way. Nice. And so there is no bad. There's only glory. And yeah, sometimes it's a rocky road to get there. Right. Mm-hmm. But it's, but it's his yeah. glory. Um, yeah. Amen. So my, my question for you guys is having gone through that situation, you know how sometimes people, they're going through something and they want to ask somebody something, but they, they hesitate and they, they wait and, you know, cause the enemy doesn't want them to ask. And so sometimes they wait to the last minute. Mm-hmm. So if you guys were leaving and not coming back and a couple came to you and they were feeling like, you know, they're done, but it was their last ditch effort to go to somebody that they trust and respect and love what would you guys say to them? It's a good question. (laughs) Man, I would, I would for sure say like, just surrender it all. Like don't hold anything back. Like, I'm, I'm assuming you mean like if there's a couple on the verge of saying we're done thrown in the towel. Yeah. And like uh, what, like super last minute, like they're throwing in the towel and you guys have your bags and you're like going to the airport and it's like, and you're thinking, why are you coming to me now? I, I got like the taxi's <laughs> waiting. I got two minutes to say something to you. It, honestly, when you, you use the word baggage for me, it was, I, I imagine the end of my life looking back did I want to see my family on the side of the road that I ditched to the side of the road or baggage? And um, I I knew, I knew that when I got to the end of my life and I looked back, I cannot see Jody and Hannah and Grace as casualties ditched on the side of the road for whatever I was pursuing, whatever my happiness, whatever I thought would be what I wanted that they would be casualties. And I kept, you know, I kept what Rachel wanted. Mm-hmm. I I wanted to get to the end of my life and look back and see Jody, Hannah, and Grace beside me and along the, the side of the road in life. Baggage, just leave it. Drop the baggage, leave it. It's not worth lugging through life. And um, that... It's funny you use the airport analogy because that's what I would say at the end of your life. You want them beside you, not the baggage. Like surrender. I surrender all. Like surrender it. Don't hold on to it. 
I think for me too, I would like, uh, I just remember that summer when Rachel was still, um, not when we weren't together, when she was in the States or in Czech, um, I went and spoke to, uh, the, our pastor who had been our pastor before we moved to Czech in, in Waterloo. His name was Paul McElroy. And I just remember Paul looking at me and saying, Jody, do you love Rachel? And I said, I do. And he said, then fight for your wife. Fight for her. Mm-hmm. And I, I think I would say to that couple, there's nothing in this world that, you know, that this world can offer that is worth more than your marriage. And, and you need to fight for it. Fight for it. It's worth it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. Thank you so much, guys, for sharing some, for sharing your life, for sharing the intimate details of your life. And displaying what reconciliation looks like oh, praise god yeah. Yeah. yeah thank you thank you so much for this chance uh, you're welcome hopefully i'll get to come and see you guys at some point it would be awesome i hope you're a coffee drinker yeah <laughs> oh i drink coffee <laughs> good good great no coffee really the door is wide open so we would love that yeah. awesome thanks guys yeah thank you thanks god Friends, you don't have to be perfect. It's just a lie from the enemy. The Father wants you to come as you are. And Jesus did say there would be trials in this life, tribulations. There would be storms. But he has overcome the world. And clearly, as we see in this story, God has a plan. And you can try to run away from it. You can try to ignore it, but he has a plan and he will keep chasing you. And if you don't succumb to his plan, you will just be miserable. In the world, surrender is weakness, but in the kingdom, surrender is the way. (laughs) 